A daily digest of the who, what, and why of Waterloo Region. Welcome to Kitchener Today on City News 570. I can't start the show yet. Where, uh, where's my, where's my mug of water? Uh, all right. Well, I'll have to go get it during the break. I, I finally realize what it's like to be a Farwell. Because if you listen to Farwell on in the morning, by the way, producer Polly here on uh, Kitchener today on City News five seventy, Brittany is not feeling well so she is recouping or recovering at home so uh you're stuck with me this afternoon producer Polly, between noon and three now you may remember or from time to time on on mike farwell's show i as the producer of the show will sometimes razz him for calling what i refer to as the 851 audio dump so you, I usually get here about seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning, and I'll touch base with Mike in the morning, and you know, hey, what's on the show today? Anything I need to know? Do you need any audio clips? And sometimes he'll say, yeah, yeah, pull this, this, and this. And it seems that more often than not, at well, about eight fifty one a.m., shortly before Farwell goes to air at nine, he goes, "Oh, Polly, I forgot something. Can you pull this and this?" I'm like. You just you just remembered now. So I just pulled that on our producer Brent. I had this clip. I pulled it this morning, and literally as the news is wrapping up, I'm like, "Oh no!" And I had to quickly email Brent. So I have a little bit of sympathy now for what it's like to be a farewell because it's. In the hours before the show, things can be chaotic, and sometimes things slip your mind, just like they did just did with me. So, yes, Kitchener today, City News 570, as mentioned, producer Polly, in with you until 3 o'clock today. So what's on the show today? Well, at 2.30, Ben Nicholson-Smith from Sportsnet will be here, and we're going to be talking about the start of the MLB season, Major League Baseball season. Will the season start on time? That's the big question. Not a lot of people are, I think, aware right now that Major League Baseball is actually in a work stoppage. And they have been since December, but of course, because normally we're off in December, January, February, most most people might not even have noticed. Anyway, we'll be talking to Ben Nicholson-Smith at uh, 2.30 about whether or not He thinks the Major League Baseball season will start on time. The clock is ticking. Major League Baseball said yesterday that they need to come to an agreement by Monday or the season, the regular season anyway, will not start on time. Now at 2 p.m., there's a lot of sports on the show today. Uh, The PGA Tour, the Canadian PGA Tour, has announced that later on this year in September, 
there's going to be a golf tournament right here in Waterloo Region. It's been a few years since we've seen a major tournament come to Waterloo Region, and so Rob Moore, Director of Golf and Operations at Deer Ridge Golf Club, will be here at 2 o'clock. At 1.30, we're going to be talking about the Russia invasion of Ukraine. I woke up to that news this morning, I think just like most of us did. I woke up to it because my, my wife, who goes to bed long after I do, I guess she got the news before she even went to bed, and I woke up this morning, turned on my television, as I usually do, to see what's happening in the news, and it was on the BBC channel. <laughs> Who is doing extent? So obviously my wife was watching the BBC before going to bed last night, and so yeah, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We're going to get to the bottom, well, hopefully we'll get to the bottom of that. So we're t- doing that at one thirty. At 1 o'clock, uh, Flair Airlines... There's another airplane coming to the region of Waterloo International Airport. So Flair Airlines has added a third flight, a third plane flying in and out of the region's airport. We'll find out when these planes might be starting and where they might be flying to. I want to go to Vegas. That's all I'm saying. I think Flair is just a Canadian airline, I think. Well, you know, we'll ask Garth that when he joins us. And at 12.30, Cambridge Mayor Catherine McGarry will be here, and she's going to be talking about some unique um, some unique houses, let's just say, that are about to open up in Cambridge. So we'll get to all that. So as we've been doing on the show all week, at the beginning of the show, we like to talk about some of the different national holidays, because every day is something. You know, National Cupcake Day or something like that. So according to HolidayInsights.com, which was my go-to source for all things weird holidays, today is National Tortilla Chip Day. This occurs, it always occurs on February 24th. You know, sometimes it might be like the third Wednesday in December or something, right? It's always on February 24th. Today is a holiday with a crunch. One might even suggest that it is a corny holiday. Well, that's okay because today is National Tortilla Chip Day. Just a few decades ago, people seldom ate chips and salsa. It's probably has gro- its popularity has grown immensely. Today is a tribute to the rising popularity of how it became one of our favorite munchies. So National Tortilla Chip Day. It's also World Bartender Day. Uh, cheers to the bartenders of the world today. It is World Bartender Day. Today is a day to celebrate the bartending craft and to give recognition and appreciation to the men and women behind the counters at the bars, pubs, breweries, and wineries that we frequent. And according to this, we can celebrate National Bartenders Day by going to your local pub, brewery, or winery. Give your bartender a warm smile and a hearty thank you or give a generous tip. I have another one that's not on this sheet. How about we watch an episode of Bar Rescue? Has anybody ever seen that show? It's on, um, I can't remember what channel it's on. Is it Lifetime? Anyway, this the, the show with this guy, John Taffer, he goes in and, as the show would suggest, rescues Bars and some of them are in crazy condition, like it's you know dirty kitchens and 
you know, interiors that haven't been updated since the 1960s. It's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, today is also National Chili Day. So you know what? If you went to the right bar, you could go to a bar, order a drink from your bartender, some nachos, and finish it off with some chili. You can, and you can celebrate all of those at the same time today. Uh, I'm gonna, Brent, I'm going to have this clip ready to go. Now, this is something that my wife uh, pointed out to me last night. Now, this is apparently from the, the TikTok account of This Hour Has 22 Minutes. I'm assuming that it's also you know, on Facebook or, or Twitter or whatever, but that, that's how she saw it. And it's a little parody video, and it is obviously it's radio, so we can't get the the video. But you should be able to, you know, pick up, you know, what this is about. It's 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 a little parody on what's been happening in Ottawa the last week with the emergency act. Overwhelmed, stressed, incapable of handling a situation, invoke the Emergencies Act. I'm sorry, Gary. You just haven't landed any new accounts, so I'm gonna have to let you go. I invoke the Emergencies Act. You can't fire me. Yes, I can. No, you can't. It's a thing. Look it up. Sorry. Gary? These special temporary measures help you cope with any urgent and critical situation long after you should have. Gary, I'm leaving you. I invoke the Emergencies Act. I've met somebody new. I invoke the Emergencies Act. Gary, we have to face this. I invoke the Emergencies Act. The Emergencies Act. It's for emergencies. If you fail to act, Emergency Act. Imagine if you can do that in your in your normal life. <laughs> what we saw. And it's so did anybody see that yesterday? So Justin Trudeau comes out and announces sorry, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. I got a message on Twitter that I should refer to him as the Prime Minister. Okay came out and said, we're revoking the Emergencies Act. Now, what a coincidence, because at that very moment, they were just finishing up debate in the Senate, and there was speculation that it might have failed in the Senate when that vote, which meant the whole thing would have come to an end anyway, but it, it, this way, it, it makes the Prime Minister look like, hey, I'm the good guy. Hey, hey, I ended it. <laughs> I found that very interesting. Okay, so we're going to do a little... Little thing, the same thing that we did here last uh, yesterday, rather. This little what Brittany referred to as the not so impossible question. There is no prize. It's just a little fun game that I want to play here on the phones for the next few minutes. So if you want to, if you heard this yesterday, you want to give us a call. Fun little game: five one nine five seventy twenty five forty five out of town one eight hundred five seventy. 5715 and star 570 on your cell phone. Here is the not so impossible question. If tested, 65% of people would fail at this driving maneuver. If tested, 65% of people would fail at this driving maneuver. What is it? Let's take some guesses. 519-570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570, hands-free. Let's take a break. 
We'll try to get some answers next. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. All right, I found it. I found my coffee mug. Actually, my water mug, and it was in studio. It was in here the whole time. All right, so we're playing this little game that Brittany introduced yesterday, and the phone lines blew up, and they've blown up again. This little, what we call the not-so-impossible question. No surprising. Then just going to have a little bit of fun here, see if you can guess the answer to the following scenario. If tested, 65% of people would fail at this driving maneuver. John Doe, do you know the answer? Parallel parking. Parallel parking. Good guess, but not correct. Try again. All right. Ian. Ian, do you know the answer? I was going to say parallel parking as well. No, it is not. Uh, Call back again if you think you have another one. If tested, 65%. Of people would fail at this driving maneuver, and and based on the first two calls, it's not parallel parking. Good guess, though. That would have been my initial guess if I didn't have the the real answer right in front of me. All right, here we go. Mark, do you know the answer? Geez, uh, both guys kind of took my answer, but I'll take another guess at it, uh, Paul. Mm -hmm. I'll say uh, not coming to a complete stop at a stop sign. No, that's not it, but that's that's also a good guess. So we'll try that one again. I'm going to try one more, and then I'm going to give you a little hint. Give you a little hint, maybe it'll help you out. 65% of people, if tested, would fail at this driving maneuver. Doug, do you know the answer? I, uh, the, the others were wrong, so this time I'll say a three-point. No, it's not a three-point turn, but good one. Thanks, Doug. Okay, here's my hint. We know a lot about this driving maneuver, specifically in Waterloo Region. Other places, of course, too, but we know a lot about this driving maneuver in Waterloo Region. Again, 65% of people would fail at this driving maneuver if tested. Wendy, go ahead. Hi, Polly. Yep. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Um, I was going to say stopping in a red light, but since you gave the clue, mm-hmm. I'm going to say driving of the roundabouts the right way. You are correct. So, yes, Wendy, you got it right. It is driving in a roundabout properly. So thank you very much. Wendy, you got the right answer. So thank you. You can go and brag to all your friends the rest of the day. Hi. (laughs) Now, we do have another one. We do have time, actually, for one more of these impossible questions. So if you're on the the line, don't hang up, because maybe you can guess this one. Our next impossible question. 37% of people have signed up for this during the past year, 37% of people have signed up for this within the past year. 519-570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570, hands-free. We're playing the not-so-impossible question. 37% of people have signed up for this within the past year. Francis, do you know the answer? 
I was hoping for the answer before, but it was taken away from me. <laughs> Did you have it? Did you have the roundabout? Well, I, it was a toss-up between the roundabout and making a left, a proper way of making a left-hand turn. That way, you don't turn your wheels until you have the right of way to make the left turn. Right, because if somebody hits you from behind, you might get thrown into oncoming traffic. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and the other one. I have no idea. I didn't sign up for anything. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Francis, and thanks for listening. All right. Our impossible question right now. 37% of people have signed up for this during the past year. JC, do you know the answer? No, I was calling for the other answer, and I guess I missed it, so I have no idea. You have no idea. Okay, well, keep listening, and we'll give you the answer, hopefully in a couple of minutes. Hold on. All right, we got Kyle on the line. Kyle, do you know the answer to 37% of people have signed up for this in the past year? It might be me, but I'm going to try online dating. <laughs> you are correct. A dating yeah. service. I'm one of those 35%. Yeah. <laughs> 37%. So there you go. So that that is our little uh, our little. Maybe we'll do this again tomorrow. Although I don't know where Brittany got these uh, uh, these little questions from. So I'm going to have to ask her if she's she's feeling up to it to send me some more. That was very cool. Yeah. So 37 percent of people in the past year have signed up for a dating service. So we have lots coming up on the show today. Again, Brittany not feeling very well. So she's taking the day off. We'll see how she feels tomorrow. Unfortunately, you're stuck with me, producer Polly, here until three o'clock. Coming up next, Catherine McGarry, mayor of Cambridge, will be joining us. And there's some new, some new houses. I guess if you can call them houses coming to Cambridge, I, I think they're pretty much done, but they're a little unique and actually, quite frankly, uh, a little appealing, although these houses are are set aside for seniors, but uh, sounds kind of like an interesting idea. So we'll talk to Catherine McGarry about those unique houses that are coming to Waterloo Region right after the 1230 News with Aaron Anderson. This is City News 570, and you're listening to Kitchener Today. Welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. Producer Polly in with you today from noon till 3. Well, within a week, seniors will move into six of the most unusual, innovative housing units in Waterloo Region. Affordable housing units built out of 16 repurposed steel shipping containers. And uh, that sounds very interesting. And so... Sorry about that. We have Catherine McGarry, Mayor of Cambridge, on the show today to talk to us about it. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for inviting me on. So these units are on Bechtel Street in Cambridge. Why was that specific location chosen? Well, it's a great question, but it is a land that's owned by Waterloo Region already. It is already a region-owned housing complex. And when we were looking around for a quick uh, ability to build these units, we needed uh, land that was much more accessible than trying to rezone a new piece of land. So on this property, there was certainly enough space to add six more units. 
And so it was uh, put across for funding to the federal government under the Rapid Housing Initiative for this piece of land, and it was uh, funded very happily. So, so that's why that particular property. Now, I, I understand that you've actually taken a tour of uh, some of the units. What were your thoughts? <laughs> I have to admit, when uh, when you hear steel shipping container, you think of this hollow steel box with no windows, no light in it. And when I walked into this first unit, I was absolutely blown away. There are three shipping containers for each each uh, each unit or thereabouts. It was light. It had beautiful laminate flooring. It was uh, colorful, bright, and uh, three rooms. You know, the living kitchen area, a separate bedroom with closet, a front hall entrance with a closet. And there were two units that I toured, one which is the, the standard unit in a washroom, and then a modified unit that was modified for anybody uh, with uh, mobility issues and potentially in a, in a wheelchair. But I was absolutely blown away by the light, the space, and the finishings. Now, smaller living units like this have been growing in popularity over the last, oh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years, uh, uh, you know, tiny homes as they were. I know these aren't, ex- I don't think these technically would qualify as tiny homes, but th- this seems to be a bit of a trend. Why do you think, uh, you know, the smaller living spaces have become so popular? I think it's it's uh, got a couple of answers to that. The first, The first unit that I toured, of now housing and now housing is the uh, contractor that built those and it's a Cambridge company. So I'm going to proudly point out that these units were built right here in Cambridge. But the first one that I saw a couple of years ago was uh, about a 250 square foot, just one shipping container. And you could see that it takes much less space. It's far more portable to, to move to different areas and that it's certainly um, an improvement over needing to live in a shelter or or outside or, or couch surfing. So I think that's one of the reasons why they've taken off. We've seen in countries around the world and other jurisdictions where tiny homes has really uh, met the specific needs for a population that uh, has been unhoused or unsheltered for a while in order to at least get them into a transitional piece before they're able to kind of stabilize anything else they need to in their life and move forward. These particular units are about 480 square feet, and that's actually not unusual even in condo towers now in downtown Toronto in terms of space, uh, much more efficient use of space, much less lands required to put up quick units, And the advantage of the tiny homes, in particular the modular units like we see on Bechtel Street, means that you can configure it like the ones on Bechtel Street to even use less land. And on the Bechtel Street example, there are three units on the downstairs level, and the upper level also contains three units. So that's six units in a very small parcel of land, and so much more uh, desirable in building quick solutions. Now, so I, I, as we know, these units were made out of old uh, or, or made out of shipping containers. Uh, now, were these shipping containers were were, were they 
want containers that had reached the use of their life of their original intended purpose, and now they're being repurposed? Actually, they are being repurposed, uh, Polly, but they're only one-time use. So there's very specific criteria that goes into choosing shipping containers for these projects. Uh, They're only used once. They cannot contain anything that has been used for for transporting dangerous goods or anything that would be considered toxic. They're very specific uh, criteria. And from what I understand now, housing in particular built these units goes to um, uh, those containers that are only being used once. For an example, uh, from an overseas point of view, if they're not taking goods back to that country, they may just use them once and leave them in Canada while it's too expensive to return them and then reuse them. So they've only been used once with no noxious uh, goods in them and they ensure that they're up to standards. And in fact, all of these shipping containers that are being used in the construction are all CSA approved, and so that they comply with all the building code standards that we need for any housing here in Ontario. Uh, Are there plans to build more, either in Cambridge or in Waterloo Region? I sincerely hope so. (laughs) This is a pilot project. We just couldn't be prouder to have this uh, piloted here in Cambridge. And we will be closely watching how these units uh, turn out for the residents that are set to move in. I think you'll see um, uh, certainly six seniors have been already chosen to go into these units. And we will see how the units perform. I know that now housing has been supplying these types of units to other municipalities And I think that it's going to be a huge success. And we'll be looking through Cambridge as well as Waterloo Region for other opportunities to see how we can utilize this technology and these modular units to really help resolve some of the crisis that we see in affordable housing options and to really decrease the significant wait list that we have here in Waterloo Region for housing. I was watching one of the preview videos uh, that were put out yesterday. Are, are, it looks like these units are fully furnished. Is that right? Yes, they are. That's, yep, they that's have very every cool. Amenity, including the bed, the linen, um, you know, a washer dryer unit that is like a European unit that's um, you know just washing and drying in one unit. So it's very space efficient. But they come fully furnished. I know that during the press conference. The question was asked if the seniors or with the residents um, moving in, could they bring some of the items that, that they want to? And absolutely is the answer. So if people have their own own uh, furniture and want to bring items in, they're able to do that. And so the, uh, the region will certainly accommodate for that. But I think one of the one of the reasons that it is furnished is twofold. Some that have been on the wait list for a while may not have their items any longer or they're too large for the space. So the items that were put into these units that I saw are very space efficient, very comfortable, but able to fit in a pretty small small space. 
And uh, why why is this specific to seniors? I know there there are many people who are kind of on the wait list, but you've decided to start with seniors specifically. Why is that? I think that it was the uh, the region itself. Of course, our uh, our our housing is provided regionally by the region of Waterloo. And they chose these individuals to come into uh, this particular project. Um, they're, you know, as we build out these types of units, and as I said, I'm very hopeful that we see more projects like this. Uh, it, they can certainly accommodate singles, uh, any age group, families as well. So I think this is this particular project was chosen in this way, also to provide a community feel for these residents coming in. They can relate to each other, assist in getting to know each other. I know that the residents that live in the in the uh, housing complex already are really looking forward to welcoming the seniors and getting to know them and inviting them into this little community that uh, has been so welcoming to date. So as we open up other opportunities and options, I think you'll see others that are able to come off the wait list and it will open up to uh, other individuals and, and family configurations. Mayor McGarry, thanks very much for your time today. Thank you very much. I'm uh, really looking forward to seeing this uh, take off. Yeah, great. Thanks. Uh, Mayor, Mayor Catherine McGarry, of course, uh, Mayor of Cambridge, joins us to talk about these uh, these units. There are six of them, and they I think these are our first in Waterloo Region being built out of old shipping containers and i i've seen this sort of thing on television before where they'll you know they'll convert uh, an old shipping container into a house it's 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 a really interesting idea and i i you know i'm curious whether now obviously i mean these these are you know specific units you know being set aside for affordable housing whatever but i'm would you consider, or maybe maybe you do live in a tiny home, I'm curious whether or not you would consider living in, you know, a, a, a tiny home. It's, it, it's, it's very appealing to me. And maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll make the leap. But, you know, I mean, my wife and I, actually, we haven't discussed this, so... <laughs> <laughs> it sounds interesting. So anyway, I'd be curious whether or not you would want to, or maybe you do live in one of these tiny homes, 519-570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570, hands free. Let's take a break. We'll come back. This is Kitchener Today with producer Polly hosting on City News 570. Mayor Catherine McGarry joined us a few minutes ago to talk about these unique housing units, which are coming into Cambridge March 1st. There are six units. They're going to be designated for seniors who have been looking for affordable housing, but they're made out of old ship. Well, actually not old shipping containers. She said in, in some cases, maybe they were used once, but it's not like they've been spending the last 10 years on a cargo ship. So they are fairly clean. Uh, yeah. So making something new out of something old uh, that's, it sounds very interesting. And, and I was toying with the idea, uh, but whether or not you would inter- be interested in living in one of these tiny houses. Now I know these shipping containers might not technically qualify as a tiny home. 
They, they are actually quite spacious, as uh, Catherine was mentioning. But uh, it sounds like an interesting idea. 519-570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570, hands free. Gary, you're on the air. Okay, thank you. Hello? Yeah. Uh, do you have a thought on uh, th- these houses being made out of shipping containers? Oh, yeah. I've been looking at them for a number of years already. And that I haven't done anything myself. But I, I thought these shipping container homes might be a great idea for the high school students to get their 40 hours of volunteer time and try out skilled trades. That's not a bad idea, right? I, I, it's not a habitat for humanity thing. But I guess I, I'm guessing they would be looking for volunteers, I would think. Yeah, that is a good idea, Gary. You know, because, I mean, even the skilled trade, we need skilled trades people. Give a high school student a chance to find out if they're interested. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a really good idea. You know, if I I've said this, you know, if I wasn't in radio, I might consider a skilled trade. I watch one of these. um, uh, There's a show on on PBS in the States called Ask This Old House. Have you ever seen this show? And it's, uh, you know, a group of, you know, I don't think there's four or five people on the show. One is a gardener, you know, one is a, a carpenter. And, you know, I've always been interested in the, the guy who does the plumbing. So if I wasn't in radio, one thing I might consider is a skilled trade uh, and more specifically plumbing. I don't know. For some reason, I find that in, electricity scares me. You know, I know it's positive and negative. I'm just I'm afraid that I'm going to you know, set something on fire. But uh, a skilled trade is something that's a good idea. And we're, we're, we're pretty short on skilled trades from what I understand. So, yeah, we've been talking about these tiny homes. And uh, do you live in one or would you consider it? The idea is somewhat appealing to me. 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715 and star 570 hands free. Now, I have an article here about tiny homes. So, the, the, Of course, just like anything in life, there are benefits and drawbacks. And some of the benefits are uh, one would be less clutter. When you have a tiny home, filling it out with stuff is not always an option, at least not if you actually want space to move around in. When your home is small, you have to make some hard choices about what to keep and what to get rid of. This means you can't go out and buy frivolous items whenever you're feeling bored or blue. I think that might be the biggest drawback for me. I'm like, sometimes in, in the house that, that we live in now, sometimes I feel that I, I, we, we don't even have enough room for the stuff that we have. But for me, that might be the biggest uh, uh the biggest, well, I guess it could be a drawback or uh, a benefit. This is being listed as a benefit. You have less clutter. Uh, another benefit is less time spent cleaning. Cleaning two or three small homes takes far less time than cleaning seven or eight large ones. Cleaning also goes faster because you don't have to uh, have knickknacks and clutter to pick up or clean around. And of course, there's you know there's less floor space and stuff like that. Uh, Another benefit of these tiny homes, according to this article, more savings. Living in a tiny home saves money in many different ways. You don't spend as much time, uh, sorry, as much on heating, cooling, property taxes, 
or home maintenance. You save money on groceries since you have a smaller pantry and smaller refrigerator, and you uh, cut idle shopping almost entirely out of the picture. So uh, another benefit is higher quality of life. Many tiny homeowners state that their quality of life and overall happiness improved when they shed their stuff and started living small. There are many reasons for this. They don't feel weighed down by all the frivolous items that they used to own or have a huge mortgage and that they spend less time and money cleaning and maintaining their home, which allows for more time and money for leisure activities. And uh, the, the fifth benefit of a tiny home is a, and if, you're, if this is you know something that concerns you, a lower carbon footprint. Lastly, all of the benefits add up to a major benefit for the environment. Tiny homes are green homes, and as they use less energy, produce less waste, and consume less resources in the form of products that are no longer being purchased than larger homes. So would you consider living in one of these tiny homes? The idea for me is appealing 519-570-2545 out of town, 1-800-570-5715 and star 570, hands-free. And there are three drawbacks to tiny homes. So uh, one would be that you have to have really good organizational skills. You need to utilize every organizing idea for small spaces. Otherwise, your tiny home will look like a cluttered closet. You won't want to spend time there. Uh, Another drawback is you can't have it all. It can be difficult to decide what possessions to take with you into this tiny space, especially if you have abundant or a large family heirlooms. And the third one is entertaining can be a challenge. Entertaining in a tiny home has limits. In warm months, you can go outside, but in winter can force you to limit your guest list. So <clears throat> I'm not a big entertainer, so that wouldn't be a problem for me. That, that almost might be a benefit. <laughs> uh, let's pick up on a couple of other things here before the news at 1 o'clock. Uh, we were, uh, Tuesday, Brittany and I were talking. And, of course, Tuesday was a very unique date in history. It was February 22nd, 2022. 2-22-22. And I think the article I was reading said it. it's going to be another, I think, 200 years before those dates line up again. And then after that, you're looking at, I think, 20,000 years. So this is an event that occurs only once in a lifetime, 2-22-22. Well, it's always a special date when a baby is welcomed into the world, but for one Pennsylvania family, the birth of their first boy also marked a -a once-in-a-lifetime date. Matthew and Christina Walker welcomed their first baby boy on Tuesday, which just happens to be a worldwide palindrome. Baby Vaughn was welcomed into the world, get this, at 2.22 a.m. on February 22nd, 2022, 2.22.22. But get this, his room number in the hospital, two. 
So 2.22 a.m. on 2.22.22 in room number two of the UPMC McGee Women's at uh, the UPMC Altoona. Uh, the date is very special because it falls on a Tuesday. Of course, it also fell on a Tuesday. That's the other unique thing here. And some some people were referring to Tuesday, this past Tuesday, as T-W-O-S-D-A-Y. Tuesday and is a palindrome across the world regardless of how the date is written. So that's something I've been sitting on for a couple of days here. Uh, of course, you know, Tuesday with that unique date. And uh, thank you to uh, my wife for mentioning that story. She sometimes refers to me as her uh, AP, which is either stands for assistant producer or assistant Polly. I haven't been able to quite figure that out yet. <laughs> uh, lots coming up on the show as we move along in the afternoon. Uh, coming up at one thirty. We are going to be talking about the news that we all woke up to this morning, and that is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not big on foreign policy. I really should, obviously, I think we all should follow all sorts of news more closely, and some of us do anyway. But foreign policy for me is always something that's kind of gone by the wayside and um, of course with everything crazy happening in this country especially these days but we're going to get to the bottom of it hopefully anyway with uh, Eric Heron he is professor of political science at West Virginia University he'll be joining us at 1.30 to discuss that that and many other things coming up throughout the afternoon producer Polly, that's me in hosting Kitchener today till 3 o'clock today on City News 570. Producer Polly in with you today on Kitchener today until 3 o'clock today. The, uh, the Prime Minister is supposed to give a statement on the Russia-Ukrainian situation. We're keeping an eye on that and uh, maybe we'll bring a little bit of that to you in a few moments. But first, Flair Airlines is bringing a third jetliner and 50 more jobs to its base at the regional airport, uh, confident that there are enough passengers to sustain expansion. So this is very exciting news for the region. And Garth Lund, he is the chief commercial officer of Flair Airlines, joins us on the show now. Garth, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. Uh, so uh, I understand we've added three new Canadian destinations flying out of the uh, region of Waterloo Airport. What are those destinations? Yeah, so from this summer, um, Flair will be starting service to Deer Lake, uh, Charlottetown and St. John, New Brunswick. Um, that's on top of all our existing destinations. Um, as you mentioned, we're adding a third base aircraft to Kitchener-Waterloo. So uh, we have two bases there currently. We're increasing up to three, uh, which will make Kitchener-Waterloo one of our largest bases um, in Canada. Um, and I think the base concept is really important for us. Um, you know, we fly to many places. We only have six airports, which are what we call bases. So that's where we have um, employees. That's where we have our aircraft staying overnight. Um, and Kitchener-Waterloo is home for a, a number of our pilots, cabin crew, 
maintenance staff, customer service agents. And as you mentioned, uh, this will add up to another uh, 50 jobs for, um, for Flair staff in Kitchener Waterloo on top of the 100 we have uh, employed there already. And so what are those 50 jobs? I'm assuming airline attendants, but there's got to be more, I'm sure. Yeah, so I think these, you know, so it's a really a mix. Um, good quality, well-paying jobs. We've got pilots. Uh, we have cabin crew. We have some of our maintenance engineers. Um, there'll be ground handlers, customer service agents. So it's really a mix. Um, and uh, I think it's, you know, it's a good story um, for expanding our, our employee base in Kitchener Waterloo. So uh, this is the third plane that we've added here in uh, in Kitchener Waterloo. So I, I, I guess people are responding pretty well to the uh, the first two planes. Right, um, it's been very popular. So we've launched a number of destinations from Kitchener Waterloo, both you know domestically destinations like Vancouver um, or Halifax, but then also uh, transborder and international. We're flying down to Fort Lauderdale, Cancun. Um, so we're really trying to give people a mix um, of services from Kitchener-Waterloo. Um, and the response has been very positive. We see very strong demand um, and will be continuing to expand into this summer. And uh, do we have any plans for further expansion, either within Canada or uh, in North America? Yeah, so we're, we're growing a lot. Um, we have 12 aircraft flying right now. Um, by July, we'll be up to 20 aircraft. So really a lot of growth going into the market. Um, next year, we'll be increasing up to 30 aircraft. Um, we've seen very strong demand for flares, for, for flares, low flares. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to con- continue uh, providing that service to people. Well, that is very exciting news. Garth, thanks for joining us on the show this afternoon. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh, Garth Lund, Chief Commercial Officer at Flare. Airline. So a new airplane will be flying out of uh, region of Waterloo International Airport starting in June with three new Canadian destinations. We're going to take a quick break. I see the Prime Minister is uh, just about to speak, so we're going to take a quick break. And uh, we're going to carry some of his comments as he comments on the Russia-Ukrainian situation. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. We all woke up to the news this morning that Russia had invaded Ukraine. Very interesting situation. And uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is making a statement on that now. Let's go. Bonjour tout le monde. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for being here. I'm accompanied today by the Deputy Prime Minister Freeland and Minister Jolie and Anand. We're here today to talk about the situation in Ukraine. The unjustifiable attack by Russia of Ukraine is unacceptable. Ukrainians woke up to the brutal, terrifying reality of war. President Putin has launched a horrific, unprovoked attack on their country, a sovereign nation, including missile strikes in their capital, Kiev. He has needlessly put the lives of innocent people at risk, violated Russia's international treaties, and launched the greatest threat to European stability since World War II. Canada is unequivocal in our condemnation of Russia's unprovoked and unjustified attack on the sovereign, democratic state of Ukraine. President Putin's brazen disregard for international law, democracy, and human life 
are a massive threat to security and peace around the world. I just spoke a few minutes ago with President Zelensky. I told him that we are announcing strong action today and continue to stand with him and with the Ukrainian people. Earlier this morning, I met with G7 partners to coordinate our response. We're also working closely with NATO and our allies. Together, we have made clear that Russian violence, aggression, and violation of international law will not go unpunished. We stand united and steadfast in our support of Ukraine's sovereignty, and we stand in solidarity with the Ukrainian people's right to decide their own future in a free and democratic state. Mardi, on Tuesday, after President Putin's recognition of the so-called independent states of Donetsk and Luhansk, Canada announced an initial series of concerted sanctions. Canada's sanctions target those responsible for illegal actions in Russia as well as two Russian banks supported by the state. Moreover, we've prohibited Canadians from buying Russian sovereign debt. It will be forbidden to participate in any financial transaction with the so-called independent states of Donetsk and Luhansk. We also announced the deployment of up to 460 additional Canadian forces troops to support Operation Reassurance under NATO and Today, to favor peace and security in Europe. reckless and dangerous military strike, we are imposing further severe sanctions. These sanctions will target 58 individuals and entities, including members of the Russian elite and their family members, as well as the Wagner Group and major Russian banks, among others. We will also sanction members of the Russian Security Council, including the Defense Minister, the Finance Minister, and the Justice Minister. In addition, Effectively, immediately, effective immediately, we are ceasing all export permits for Russia and cancelling existing permits. These sanctions are wide-reaching. They will impose severe costs on complicit Russian elites, and they will limit President Putin's ability to continue funding this unjustified invasion. Aujourd'hui, Today, in light of Ru Russia's reckless and dangerous military strike, we are imposing further severe sanctions. These sanctions are wide-reaching. They will bring about major sanctions for members of the Russian elite and will prevent President Putin from financing this unjustified attack. I want to be clear, Russia's attack against Ukraine is also an attack against democracy, international law, and freedom. Russia's attack on Ukraine is also an attack on democracy, on international law, on human rights, and on freedom. Russia's actions stand in direct opposition to the democratic principles that generations of Canadians have fought to protect. Democracies and democratic leaders everywhere must come together to defend these principles and stand firmly against authoritarianism.
Russia must immediately cease all hostile actions against Ukraine and withdraw all military and proxy forces from the country. Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity must be respected, and the Ukrainian people, like all people, must be free to determine their own future. I want to be clear. Our quarrel is not with the people of Russia. It is with President Putin and Russian leadership that has enabled and supported this further invasion of Ukraine. La vérité... The truth is that Russia has been violating Ukraine's sovereignty for years. In 2014, it illegally annexed Crimea. Since then, it has never stopped arming democracy in Ukraine. And today, President Putin opened a new dark chapter of this story by launching a widespread ranging invasion. These are disturbing times for the international community and for people everywhere who care about freedom and democracy. And while the eyes of the world are on leaders, we can never lose sight of the human cost of conflict. Innocent people, including children, are now facing violence and chaos. In these dark hours, Canada's message to the people of Ukraine is this. You are not alone. We are standing with you. For Canadians and permanent residents in Ukraine, your safety and security are now our top priority. We also want to make sure that you can get to safety. We've arranged for safe passage for you and your families at the land borders with Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, and Moldova. We are urgently issuing travel documents for affected Canadians, permanent residents, and their immediate family members. We're also prioritizing immigration applications for Ukrainians who want to come to Canada. And to ensure we can serve people as quickly as possible, today we are launching a new dedicated phone line for anyone at home or abroad with urgent Ukraine-related immigration questions. Aux Canadiens et aux résidents to Canadians and permanent residents in Ukraine, your safety, safety and security are our top priority. On a pris des we pour also que want to make sure that you can get to safety. We have arranged for safe passage for you and your families at the land borders of Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania and Moldova. We are urgently issuing travel documents for affected Canadians, permanent residents and their immediate family members. We are also prioritizing immigration applications for Ukrainians who want to come to Canada. And to ensure that we can serve people as quickly as possible. Today we are launching a new dedicated phone line for anyone at home or abroad with urgent Ukraine-related immigration questions. Last night, I spoke with Ukrainian Canadians at the Ukrainian Canadian Congress board meeting. I told them that President Putin has underestimated the strength and unity of democratic allies and partners and he has underestimated the strength and resolve of Ukrainian people. These are traits of Ukrainian Canadians, too. You have helped build this country. You are proud of your, country, your culture and your heritage, and you don't back down. Well, neither will Canada. Our support for Ukraine, for democracy, and for human rights remains unwavering. 
Merci beaucoup. Je passe maintenant la parole Thank you very à la vice-première ministre Christia Christia Freeland. Justin Trudeau give us an update on how Canada feels about the Russia-Ukraine situation. Now here comes Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland. Merci, Monsieur le Premier ministre. Thank you, Prime Minister, and good afternoon. Quand nous nous sommes réveillés ce matin, when we woke up this morning, the world was different. La Russie a lancé une attaque Russia brutale launched a brutal and unprovoked attack against Ukraine. Un pays de plus de 40 millions d'habitants. A country with a population of over 40 million people. La paix et la liberté which only wants peace Today, and freedom. we woke up to a changed world. Russia has launched a brutal and unprovoked attack on Ukraine, a country of more than 40 million people who have sought nothing but peace and freedom. The horrific human costs of this cruel invasion are the direct and personal responsibility of Vladimir Putin, who has chosen to invade a sovereign democracy and challenge the rules-based international order. History will judge President Putin as harshly as the world condemns him today. Today, he cements his place in the ranks of the reviled European dictators who caused such carnage in the 20th century. The response by Canada and our allies will be swift and it will bite. This barbaric attack cannot and will not be allowed to succeed. To my own Ukrainian-Canadian community, let me say this. Now is the time for us to be strong as we support our friends and family in Ukraine. Now is the time for us to remember и поддерживают с теми, кто сделал кровавый выбор атаковать суверенную демократическую страну. Canada understands what is at stake. We know that the people of Ukraine, in fighting for their lives, for their sovereignty, are fighting for us too. They are fighting for democracy, and we stand with them. Thank you very much. Et je passe maintenant la parole à I'll now give the floor to my colleague, the Minister of Foreign Affairs. Uh, uh, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland right there. Uh, and, of course, before that, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau commenting on the, uh, the, the, the breaking news, the ongoing situation, which we all woke up to this morning with the news that uh, Russia had invaded Ukraine. And we're going to be talking more about this 
after the uh, the one thirty news. But just as a uh, a refresher from what we just heard. Uh, Canada brings in stronger sanctions after Russia strikes Ukraine. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says Canada is imposing more severe sanctions on Russia in response to its military strike against Ukraine. New sanctions will target. Now, this this note says 62 people and entities, but Justin Trudeau said 58. But uh, either 58 or 62 entities connected to Russia, including members of that country's elite and their families, the preliminary organization known as the Wagner Group and major Russian banks. These sanctions announced uh, right there after Trudeau uh, attended a virtual G7 meeting will also affect members of the Russian Security Council, including key cabinet ministers. Canada is also canceling existing export permits for Russia. And will not issue new ones. Trudeau also says that the federal government will be prioritizing immigration applicants for Ukrainians who want to come to Canada and is launching a dedicated telephone line for anyone who has any urgent questions about the uh, immigrating from Ukraine. He says Canada has arranged for the safe passage of any Canadian citizens, uh, permanent residents and their families still in Ukraine through the land borders, which Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, and Moldova. So that is the uh, the latest on the situation, and we're going to try and get to the bottom of it coming up after the uh, the 1.30 news. We're going to be speaking with Eric Heron. He is a professor, a professor rather, of political science at West Virginia University, and uh, he says that Russia's aggression in Ukraine is dangerous for all. And so we're going to try and get to the bottom of the situation because uh, I don't know about you, but I don't follow international news as closely as I should. But this seems like a pretty big story that we all should be paying attention to. So we'll continue to talk about this after the one thirty news with Aaron Anderson, producer Paulie sitting in today on Kitchener Today on City News 570. Well, we all woke up to the news this morning that uh, Russia had invaded Ukraine. Now, I I, I don't want to... It wasn't the worst... Maybe not rumored, because, you know, for the last few weeks, why else would Russia be closing in on the Ukrainian border from all sorts of different directions. So we, we we sort of knew that this was going to happen. The only real question was when was it going to happen? And that's what happened this morning or really overnight while we were all sleeping. Uh, Russia has invaded Ukraine. Now, I, I'm not big on foreign policy. And so I, I really don't know a lot about you know, what's happening over there. And uh, we're just actually, we do have a hold of our guest now. Uh, he is Eric Heron. He is a professor of political science at West Virginia University. Eric, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, there were quite a few foreign experts. Everybody was trying to speculate 
on um, most people thought that it was in, you know inevitable, but there, there were some people who, you know, with their dealings with Russia, I think I saw on the BBC this morning, I think it was the former uh, in BBC, uh, Britain ambassador to uh, Russia, didn't think this was going to happen, but uh, he ended up invading. Are you surprised that this happened? Well, I, I am ex- surprised by the the extent to which the invasion has covered the entire territory of Ukraine. I try to be really careful about uh, psychoanalyzing uh, Putin. That's, you know, psychoanalysis is well above my pay grade. But what uh, we have to think about is what motivates him. And on one end, we could think of him being motivated by retaining power and access to money. He has a lot of wealth that he's stolen from the Russian people, and he has it in offshore accounts. He's got it in mansions. He's got it in yachts and so on. That's one end. And if, if that's what motivates him, you would expect him to be pretty risk-averse. On the other end, uh, you know, there have been, there's been speculation that he really envisions himself as rebuilding a Russian empire, uh, building Russia back to greatness that was lost in the 1990s. And if, he, if that's what motivates him, we would see more aggressive behavior. And, and, and that, that latter uh, sort of approach is what we have been seeing in the, last, uh, in the last day. Now, Vladimir Putin has referred to what's happening today as a, a quote, special operation that is just going to be in the, the two rebel states, which were declared the other day. But do you think this could extend to the entire country at some point? Well, well it already has. I mean, last night, I watched Putin's speech. It was on my phone. I had the Security Council on the television in the background. And the contrast between the two was was really stark. The U.N. was talking about diplomacy at the time that Putin was declaring war. He called it a special military operation, but he was declaring war. Putin said he was going to denazify Ukraine. He said that there was a genocide against Russian speakers. He said that the government was a junta and was illegitimate. He said that Ukraine was a corrupt, failed state controlled by the West. Uh, you know, I, I've been in Ukraine uh, 19 times. I've met government officials. Uh, I've talked to people on the street. The Ukraine that Putin describes is not the Ukraine I've seen. And there's a really good reason for that. It's a lie. It's a fantasy that justifies his aggression. And that's that applies to his interpretation of history as well. Yeah, you were just touching on it. Vladimir Putin has said that, in his mind, any Ukraine is not a, uh, you know, a nation. But what is his rationale for thinking that way? Well, so his rationale—he is sort of cherry-picking history to suit his narrative, and his narrative is that Russia protects the Russian people and the Slavic people. And that very clearly his approach to this now includes taking territory. Uh, One thing that's been lost in the battle over Ukraine is that he's quietly taken over Belarus prior to, to attacking Ukraine. The Russian military moved into Belarus ostensibly to engage in military exercises. But it was recently announced that the military... Is not really going anywhere. And so de facto, you have Russian control over Belarusian territory. 
And, and so Putin claims that the Soviet Union created Ukraine, that it was cobbled together from different parts that don't really add up to a unified, meaningful nation. If you talk to Ukrainians, they trace their history back hundreds of years. And we can debate when Ukraine really became a nation if we want. But there's no question that after the collapse of the Soviet Union, Ukraine became a sovereign country. And that increasingly, over the decades since the collapse of the Soviet Union, Ukrainian people have increasingly developed ties to Ukraine. And that, by the way, includes Russian speakers who see Ukraine as their homeland. Now, it, it, it certainly appears that most of the Western world has supported Ukraine in this. Uh, given that, you know, all of the support for Ukraine, are you surprised that this attack is still going ahead? Well, I, I think that Putin has ambitions. He has perceived that this is the best time for him to act and perhaps you know, the only time for him to act. I, I, once again, was surprised at the extent to which the attack moved forward. I did expect uh, Russian forces to engage militarily in the eastern part of Ukraine, in, uh, in and around those territories that they claim now are independent republics. But the idea of essentially changing the Ukrainian regime and overthrowing the current government, which it appears is uh, the end game here, uh, was not something that, that I anticipated. And I do think that incrementally they're setting the stage, uh, setting the stage for that, to try and change the government in Ukraine, install someone who is more favorable to Russia. And, and this you know, relates to what Putin said last night. He said, we're not going to occupy Ukraine. Well, uh, if you install a puppet regime, you don't have to directly occupy a country. Uh, but Ukrainians are going to resist. And this is something I think Putin has miscalculated on. Do you think there's a chance that Russia may try to invade other neighboring countries if this one is successful? Th there is a worry about that. The question, though, becomes to what extent is Russia willing to test NATO. Many of the, the neighbors, at least to the West, are members of the NATO alliance. And it's much riskier for President Putin to invade those territories. There have been, and when the Soviet Union collapsed, there were claims by some Russian nationalists over northern parts of Kazakhstan. And Russia did send troops to help quell uh, rebellion in Kazakhstan just a few weeks ago, but it didn't leave those troops there. Uh, so there are places where you might see additional Russian aggression, but uh, I think President Putin would be careful about kind of conventional war, especially when it comes to NATO. But would we see cyber attacks? Would we see what has been called hybrid warfare, information war, and so on? That's been going on, and that's likely to continue. Now, over the last couple of weeks, in anticipation for this invasion, uh, we've seen many Western countries impose sanctions against Russia as a deterrent to hopefully uh, deter that invasion. What sort of sanctions are we talking about? Well, so the sanctions thus far have uh, varied from country to country. 
but they have included banks uh, and other financial uh, institutions. They've included individuals, some associated with the regime, some members of the Russian parliament who voted for the recognition of the Donetsk People's Republic and Luhansk People's Republic as independent. But they're relatively limited in scope. And I think we're waiting to see uh, President Biden in the United States is about to is supposed to speak soon and presumably will announce additional sanctions. And we could see much more problematic sanctions for Russia's economy, blocking them from uh, SWIFT, which allows for financial transfers, maybe blocking Russian airlines or cargo vessels from port access, perhaps invoking the foreign direct product rule, which would stop technology transfers to Russia. And we're definitely likely to see additional personal sanctions on uh, President Putin or his inner circle, Russian oligarchs, and so on, freezing their assets, canceling their visas to the West, something of that nature to raise the costs on Putin and his regime for the actions that they've taken. So we have seen that sanctions haven't proven to be an adequate deterrent but I think that the, the issue now is to raise the costs for the actions that Putin has taken. Uh, Germany, I, um, I guess there's this Nord Stream 2 pipeline that was supposed to go from Germany to Russia. And, th- and that has been at least it's, it's been paused for the moment. That's probably going to have correct. a big impact, too, right? That's, that's absolutely correct. So uh, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline would transfer gas uh, from Russia to Western Europe. It would replace a pipeline that went through Ukraine and Ukraine made money off of. Um, and it caused, uh, you know, Russia was not pleased with the arrangement uh, through Ukraine. And so this Nord Stream 2 pipeline was a, a big economic and also foreign policy objective for Russia. Now, so having it canceled uh, is a problem, is a problem economically, certainly for Russia. Now, Russia, of course, is a, a geographically huge country. How, how effective do you think these sanctions would be? Well, you know, sanctions don't have a particularly good record of changing the behavior of countries. I think that the efforts with these sanctions are to uh, punish individuals who could influence President Putin's choices and to isolate the Russian economy so that it makes it difficult for Russia to be more aggressive in the future. So, for example, if the foreign direct product rule is invoked and technology transfers uh, to Russia are limited, its ability to develop products in its military industry, for example, would be would be hit. That would be a longer term uh, punishment to Russia, but um, but it would have an effect. Uh, so, you're right. It's a it's a big country. We will have to see how the Russian people react. There have been some small-scale protests which have been repressed by Russian uh, police in a number of cities. The, um, uh, the, the sort of chatter that you see uh, in the media, on social media and so on, was that many people in Russia did not anticipate that this kind of escalation would happen. You have to remember that Russian television characterizes Ukraine both as a, a, a brotherly nation of other Slavs, and at the same time, it portrays it as an enemy country full of Nazis. And, and 
Russians are given these really confusing messages about what Ukraine is. But also, many Russians have relatives or friends who live in Ukraine. It wasn't that long mm-hmm. ago, as you just pointed out, that they were part of the Soviet Union. They were one one country. And so, you know, I think many Russians see through the rhetoric about Ukraine because it just doesn't match their experiences. So what are the costs going to be? There will be costs at the top level. There will be costs to the economy, which will hit individuals. And how they react can affect what Putin decides to do in the, in the long term. He is concerned about what, what the public uh, thinks and what the public does, especially if it turns to protest. So this invasion has kind of been in the the works for at least three or four weeks. Do you think maybe it might have been prevented? Because maybe do you think maybe we weren't taking the threat seriously at first? Well, one thing that we've got to remember is that this is really an escalation of the invasion, the invasion that happened in 2014. Ukraine was invaded by Russia in 2014. Russian troops without insignia went into Crimea. They uh, were a a part of the annexation process of Crimea. Russian troops were involved in the the separatist movement in eastern Ukraine. It was Russian troops, and this has been demonstrated by Bellingcat and other investigative agencies. It was Russian troops who brought in the anti-aircraft system that brought down the Malaysian passenger airliner. Uh, So the invasion started a long time ago. I think you're right to point out that we haven't been adequately attentive to what happened and that this escalation has caught a lot of us by surprise. uh, But the groundwork for it was laid a long time ago. Now, if Russia ends up um, losing this and is forced to withdraw, do you think that this might be the end of the Putin regime? I mean, this is the risk any autocrat takes when they engage, you know, in a war. The Argentine autocratic regime fell when it lost the Falklands War to the U.K., you know, decades ago. We've seen this before. It is a great risk to Russia to engage in a war where there will be Russian casualties. And those Russian casualties, as the war drags on, will get larger and larger in number. And the question is, how much is the Russian public willing to accept? And we know that in the war in Chechnya, some of the most effective protesters were the mothers of soldiers who died. And, uh, you know, this is a big risk for Putin. But as I said to you earlier, if Putin's objective is to try and restore Russia from his perspective to an earlier greatness, he's willing to take risks. And so that is precisely what we see happening on the ground. And any predictions on how this eventually ends up? I have to be really careful about predictions, uh, in part because I have underestimated Putin's intent over the last few weeks. And I've been assessing this from a kind of cost-benefit analysis and there seems to be, you know, listening to Putin's speeches, there's a great deal of grievance and emotion. And it's really hard to predict the behavior of any, anyone, and particularly a world leader, uh, if, if grievance and emotion is driving their calculations. And so I will say this, it is likely to get worse 
before it gets better. And I have also been reflecting on this. Um, you know, the last time I taught, taught a class this morning, when I went in to talk to the students, we talked a bit about this crisis, even though it wasn't on today's class agenda. And I said to them, the last time I, I felt like this, the last time I went into a classroom and, and really did this was the day after the 9-11 attacks in the United States. And that fundamentally changed how the, the world functions uh, over the days, weeks, and months after that attack. And I do sense that this event uh, has the potential to have those kinds of repercussions as well. Eric, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Eric Heron is a professional uh, professor rather, of political science at West Virginia University, weighing in on the news that we all woke up to this morning and that the, uh, the invasion of Ukraine has become a reality, as we all kind of suspected over the last couple of weeks. To the phones. Kyle, you're on the air. Go ahead. I feel with my Slavic brothers in, uh, in Ukraine there. Listen, this guy said that he underestimated Putin. Mm-hmm. I saw this coming since 2014 or whenever they invaded Crimea. You do not underestimate the Russian system with, under Putin. So when this happened, and, you, you know, like I think Brian said it on his show, you don't send 100,000 troops just to sit there for no reason. You know, I think I think the biggest problem we have right now is they underestimate uh, the people of Canada and NATO and the United States are underestimating the power of Putin. And they're reacting way too slowly. And they did this before in the 90s when the war broke out in Europe as well. They reacted way too slowly. And you had over 500,000 people dead after it. So you know what? Step it up. These sanctions are going to do anything. The Russian economy's tanked already. So you know what? United States, Canada, get your act together. And maybe, you know what? I'm not going to, like, if 9-11 happened, they could send troops out immediately, go send it to Ukraine, and then, you know, maybe actually show Putin what, what we're made of instead of these sanctions and all this, all this talk. Because he's already, he's already put his first chess player in. He's attacked, over, already attacked Ukraine. You know, we're just sitting back and waiting. So that's my take on it there, Polly. Yeah, thanks for the call, Kyle. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting time, and what's going to happen next is anybody's guess. Billy, go ahead. Yeah, you know, uh, just to go a little further from what I was able to say this morning, uh, I, I see this going two ways. Uh, for, first of all, um, uh, if, if he succeeds in uh, turning Ukraine into a satellite or actually making it an actual part of Russia, uh, Belarus is also going to be a satellite, evidently, uh, if, if that's the case. Uh, this is not 1939, as I said this morning. It, you know, uh, NATO exists. He's going to be up against the borders of NATO. There are, there are a lot of ideological differences with inside of NATO, inside the European Union. But this threat from Russia, if, it, if it's real, it's going to pull everybody together. If this is going to be a new Iron Curtain, I think we can live with that. I wish that we could have come in and maybe uh, at least secured half of uh, the western half of the Ukraine for, for those who were more uh, westernly oriented. But if that's not the case... We're certainly going to be there, and we're certainly going to uh, be a bulwark against uh, against the against Russia. I, I thought even back in the seventies when it was NATO, um, I thought that Soviet socialist communism was dead because of its militarism. It really was Soviet militaristic fascism, and that didn't serve them well in the long run. I don't think it will serve Russia in the long run in this case either. 
I like the uh, the optimism there, uh, Billy. And yeah, and my underst- I didn't know this until this morning, until I heard it on the radio. But Ukraine is not a member of NATO, but it seems that all of the NATO nations are uh, supporting Ukraine nonetheless. We got to get to a break. We'll be right back. This is Kitchener today with producer Polly on City News five seventy. Thanks to Eric Heron, professor uh, professor of political science at West Virginia University, who joined us a few moments ago to discuss the uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now we're going to continue this after two o'clock. Uh, our original guest wasn't feeling well, so he uh, uh, we'll try and catch up with him a little bit later on. We're going to talk about the uh, PGA Tour, uh, announcing uh, an event coming up later on this year. Uh, at Deer Ridge Golf Course. But uh, maybe we'll catch up with him once the announcement has officially been made. Uh, I don't think the PGA has actually officially made the announcement, but we'll catch up with Robert another time. But if you want to weigh in on this uh, Ukrainian situation, we can still take some phone calls after the 2 o'clock news. 519-570-2545. Out of town, 1-800-570-5715 and star 570 hands free. We got news coming up next with Brittany Ramsey and then one more hour of Kitchener Today with producer Polly on City News 570. Welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. Producer Polly sitting in with you today. We've been talking about the news that we all woke up to this morning, the uh, Russia invasion of Ukraine. And as we just heard, uh, probably about 40 minutes ago from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Canada brings in stronger sanctions. After Russia strikes Ukraine, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says Canada is imposing more severe sanctions on Russia in response to its military strike against Ukraine. Now, we do have a few minutes here for some phone calls. We also might, if we if we have time, get to the question and answer session made uh, after that announcement. The questions and answers are always, to me anyway, uh, one of the most interesting parts because... Uh, you know, you you kind of get the questions answered. And, of course, sometimes things come up that aren't related to what the announcement was. I'd be curious to know whether or not uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was asked about the cancellation of the Emergency Measures Act, which happened yesterday. But we do have a few calls on the line. And if you want to weigh in, we, of course, we do have lots of time for you and you and you, 570 2545 1-800-570-5715 and star 570 hands free if you have a comment on the Russia invasion of Ukraine, the news that we all woke up to this morning. Jason, you're on the air. Yeah, well, yeah, it's kind of concerning being Russia's a nuclear power, but what I'm finding more concerning, though, is uh, that uh, all over the news and the radio, all we're hearing about is possible cyber attacks. Like it's a nuclear nation, but our biggest concern is cyber attacks. But uh, Davos there, in fe- earlier in February here, they talked about how there's a risk of a cyber pandemic, a cyber attack that would be so bad that we would have to shut down all our infrastructure. We'd have to shut down everything, our, our cellular communications, our internet, or even our power, we'd have to shut down because of the cyber attack. Because they do these uh, events where they uh, they do hypothetical events that they uh, 
and then how they would react to it. So they'll basically have to leave us in the dark. And uh, but the foot the I don't know in 2019 October 2019 they did event 201 where they did a hypothetical coronavirus, and then in December we had coronavirus. Everybody's uprised against them, and now they're going to leave us in the dark. So I don't doubt that maybe Jason is always an interesting caller. And he and some sometimes the stuff that he says ends up I had not heard of the you know they tested out a coronavirus back in 2019 and then what a coincidence that one showed up in 2020. But uh Jason has a point though right everything is electronic now every everything is done as you know we, we talked yesterday uh sorry tuesday about uh you know that company that helps you with your wi-fi connection everything is connected through electronics now everything is connected through the internet even fridges are wi-fi now i don't know is vladimir putin interested in what's in my fridge i doubt it but it is an interesting scenario. I mean, a lot of damage could be done if you could figure out how to bring down a lot of electronic infrastructure. Uh, we're talking right now about the news we all woke up to this morning, the Russia invasion of Ukraine. If you do have a comment on that, we can take a few phone calls. 519-570-2545. Out of town, one 800 and star 570 hands free. Robert, you're in the uh, you're on the air. Hey Polly, I love the job you're doing. Thank love you. It, love it, love it. Yeah, very very good. Uh Polly, if you and I had a country and then we got into power and then we jailed our opposition and then we threw uh, a, the uh, journalists in prison, would you call that a democracy? No. I didn't think so. And it's amazing the wordsmithing of our prime minister, because I think democratic and democracy was used uh, 11 times. So what Ukraine is not a democracy when you throw your official opposition into prison. And bottom line is it's been part of Russia for as long as people can remember. In fact, I don't know if you're going to remember this or not, but back in 1991, when they did have an election and they did want to go back to Russia, the U.S. stepped in and assassinated the uh, president that was there at the time. Oh, no, I, I just barely... The 1991 is really when I kind of started following the news, but I don't remember that one. I just find it funny that we are worried about a country that has a GDP less than Italy uh, being the big bad guy. It's almost as if the same crap that they threw down back in the U.S. where... Everything was Russia, 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 Russia for the last four years. And look where we are today. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Russia never tried this when Trump was in power. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. But uh, and I, I was Donald Trump, I think, if I remember correctly, I saw some comments yesterday. He, I think he was somewhat praising Russia for the move. Maybe I heard that quote wrong, but... Uh, not surprised, I guess. John Doe, in quotes, you're on the air. Well, at least uh, Justin was able to put off the invasion for three days. Apparently, he uh, he called up Putin and told him, back off or else, and Putin spent the next three days laughing. I'm not following what you're saying. 
Nobody takes Trudeau seriously. Trudeau can get up there and yell and scream and stomp his feet all he wants. You know, Canada's lost all credibility in the international field. Okay. And maybe he's referring to, you know, what we've seen in Ottawa the last, uh, you know, couple weeks. But, I mean, most Western democracies are on favor or on side with uh, Ukraine. And uh, it's, I don't know how... um, I have a feel the base kind of you know the stuff that we've seen in Ottawa. I do have a feeling that that Justin Trudeau's, uh, I guess, reputation has been taking uh, a little bit of a hit. I, as I was mentioning the other day, you know, I, I listen to talk shows from all around North America, and talk shows which usually just focus on the United States because you know that's their that's their thing. People are talking about what's happening up here. In Canada, and so, um, yeah, it's anyway. Five one nine five seventy twenty five forty five out of town one eight hundred five seventy fifty seven fifteen and star five seventy hands free. We're uh, we're mainly commenting now on the Russia invasion of Ukraine. Mike, go ahead. Andrew and Paul, you know what? Why don't we just start recalling ambassadors? Like, get them out of Russia. Kick, you know, bring ours home, kick theirs out. End of story. Get rid of them. Stay with China, because China's going after Taiwan. Kick them out as well. Mm-hmm. You know, let them start from scratch. See, I'm not, I guess, as I've mentioned, I'm not that versed in foreign uh, relations. So I, I'm i not going to comment on what I heard there, because I... I I'm not familiar with that angle. Jerry, go ahead. Good afternoon. Long How you doing? Yeah, where have you been? You haven't well, called for a while. Well, I've just been trying to behave. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, actually, it's just been crazy busy with work. You know, I do work for a living now and again. Um, I, I guess, you know, I... I I guess when it comes to these world political, I think if most of us really knew the truth, what was going on, we'd probably never sleep at night. Uh-huh. Um, but to turn things back home, one of the scariest things for me, and I've seen it mentioned not very often, is when we turn the lens back at home here, how with everything, and you know, I know you weren't in support of the Emergencies Act and, uh-huh. and, and that, or, or the the way it was brought about, that it didn't meet. But the fact that, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I did not hear or see of any democratic country in the Western world condemn what Trudeau did. You know, we heard comments, a few comments out of China, a few comments here and there. But United States went silent. You know, a lot of the democratic countries said nothing. Yeah, I don't remember hearing anything, Jerry. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that, that there weren't, comments made because i was so focused on what was happening here in the country but uh you're right just from a bird's eye view i don't remember hearing anything uh from any other country one way or the other about that no and and what i was trying to do uh going i didn't agree with everything they did Mm -hmm. uh regarding the protests but i certainly agreed with you know the you know the, the the act or the angle of freedom and and that so i was always trying to find what 
the rest of the world was was saying, was thinking, and stuff. And it was incredible how I did, I never I couldn't find it. Doesn't mean it's not out there. Right. But I did not find really any, and especially out of the United States. Like we, we get bombarded by their media every day. Mm-hmm. So and yet there was no no concern, no condemnation about what our our prime minister was doing. So that I find alarming in itself as to why is that that nobody really seemed to be concerned about that. Well, but, certainly, uh, I mean, certainly citizens and you know talk show hosts and stuff. As I said, we're we're talking a lot about you know not not only the protests that we saw in Ottawa, but the uh, you know the bringing in of the Emergencies Act. But in terms of like official statements, you know, statements from uh, you know the Biden White House or or whatnot, you know, kind of official agencies. Uh, I don't remember hearing anything, but, uh, but you know, general citizens, you or I, lots of people are talking about it. Rush, go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Polly. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm like you, I'm not well-versed enough in the uh, regional conflicts over there to know exactly what's going on. But I do know one thing for sure, um, and that is that we're not getting the full... We're not getting the full picture. Um, 9-11 led to uh, weapons of mass destruction and an invasion in Iraq. That, mm-hmm. um, that, that happened, um, and, and in the aftermath, we found out that most of the evidence and the information that we were fed from the U.S. government was, was bunk, and it was, and it was really just you know their way of justifying... Um, their actions and and plans that they had already had in motion. Yeah, Saddam so I, never I, did have weapons of mass destruction, or at least none were ever found. Maybe he moved them no, over the country. Who didn't. knows? <laughs> That's right. He didn't have them. And worse than that is that we didn't actually think he had them. They they planted or made up a bunch of evidence that tried to indicate that he did, but but they knew all along that there were no weapons of mass destruction, yet they still went through with it. What I'm worried about is what is going to be, what what are the ramifications going to be for us? What is this conflict with Russia going to be used for? And similar to Jason, um, who, was, who was mentioning all of the cyber pandemic aspects, that's where my concern lies is, are they going to use this, this conflict with Russia and the, and the cyber attacks as justification for online passports, like an internet uh, central one, uh, one digital ID type thing, um, ha- tamping down on, fr- on the freedom of expression and speech online. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, I'm, my, my concern, too, is, uh, is them going after, um, using it as justification to go after uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, it's, 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 see, I think Bitcoin, too, during the Emergencies Act, I think Bitcoin actually was targeted and my understanding is I, I don't own any bitcoin i've been i'm thinking about it um is decentralized that there's no one place where bitcoin is is kept it's not like there's a single hard drive you know in somebody's basement it's it's all decentralized so i'm curious how that was able to occur when the information regarding bitcoin is all over the place and you know with that in misinformation too you were we were you were talking about the um, whether or not Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. I remember back the first news story I remember back in 1991 was the uh, invasion of 
Iraq, the Iraq war, the, the U.S. invaded Iraq. And there was this, at one point, there was this, this, this testimony from this 15-year-old girl about how the Iraqis were, were so terrible and babies were being thrown out of incubators and onto the, the hospital floor and how horrendous this was. And, and that was used as one of the, you know, the justifications for invading Iraq. We find out two years later that the, the, the girl who made that testimony, the 15-year-old girl, ended up being the, was it the daughter or like, like, like her father or her uncle was like the Kuwaiti ambassador to the U.S. Like, hello, <laughs> we find that out after the fact. So I, I do remember that story, but uh, uh, it's, anyway, good, good points uh, by Rush. Where, where is some of the information coming from? Rui, go ahead. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Well, I'll tell you something. You know, when you show weakness to your enemies, they will pursue you and attack you. It's as simple as that. You know, we have a president in America who is a damn fool, eh? You know, he's got no... I mean, the guy doesn't have a clue what's going on. And then you have... How would you like it? I'm pro-American. I'm pro... Mm -hmm. You know, I'm pro... But how would you like it if Russia put some... uh, bombs and put some of the nukes and put some of the army in Mexico along the border with America. What would America do? So NATO is surrounding Russia. Simple. Mm-hmm. The only country that's, you know, and if you, if you are a Russian and you're looking for, it, for your own interest, you're going to say, these people are moving in too close. Now, they don't want to listen. All Biden had to do and NATO had to do was say, Ukraine will never be part of NATO, and I bet you that will take care of it. But no, they didn't do it. Yeah, they might now. Yeah. Well, they love to call Russia terrible. What's wrong with Russian people? Mm -hmm. Trump was right. We should be friends with them. Now what's happening is Russia and China, they're buddies. You think Putin cares about the sanctions? This is a joke. He can get all the money he wants. He can sell you all he wants to China and the other countries in in Africa, who don't give a crap about NATO. So we're in a pickle be- because we put ourselves into a pickle. Well, I heard on the this morning this referred to as the Putin invasion. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wonder how the people in Russia feel about it. Because, you know, our guest the last half hour was mentioning that there have been a little, you know, there's been a few protests in Russia here and there, but again, they've been, somewhat suppressed but the, the, maybe this could be labeled more as the the putin invasion as opposed to like you know don't you don't necessarily have to lop the you know the you know the people of russia in with the invasion because certainly not everybody in russia would agree with it uh, john go ahead hi how are you doing good um go- i don't know if you remember what the president of the ukraine was doing before he became elected no he played the president of Ukraine on a comedy show. Okay, I didn't know that. And when he was another free election, he got voted in by, you know, the Ukraine people. Okay. And he went around and did the regular visits to all the countries and decided, I want to be part of NATO. All right, again, I don't, I, that's the first time I've heard that, so I don't want to 
comment on that particular aspect of it. We do need to take a break. Might have time for a call or two right after the break. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. All right, we got just a couple of moments left. Let's take one more quick call on the Ukrainian invasion. Paul, go ahead. Yes, hi there. Um, you made some good point back into the Iraq war and, the Afghan- and what happened in Afghanistan. And it seems that, you know, every time the U.S. does something and the U.S. invades something, it's all just and it's all good. You know, mm-hmm. uh, whenever somebody else does something, it's all evil. And I'm not agreeing with what Putin did, I know. But one of your callers mentioned about the, the whole NATO thing and the agreement and everything else. And maybe if the U.S. handled this better, this wouldn't be happening. Uh, you know, that's for sure. And again, you know, one other caller mentioned that, you know, we don't know exactly what's going on because we've been fed incorrect information before. And it's interesting because with with the Internet being around for over 20 years, it's only gotten worse, not better, you know. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I have a hard time anymore believing governments and and everything that they're saying. I mean, you look at what just happened a couple of years ago with the whole Wuhan lab leak theory, right, and how everything was misinformation. Google would shut you down. Uh, Facebook would label you as misinformation. Everything was misinformation. And almost two years later, they're realizing, hey, you know, that was very probable that that could have happened. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it, it's it's being thrown out as one of the possible theories. I, I still think it's being looked into, but a year ago, yeah, it's, it's you know, it was, uh, oh, there's no way. But now I, I think even... Um, you know what? I'm, I don't even know if it's the World Health Organization. I can't remember, but there are some people suggesting that, that that's at least a plausible theory, uh, the lab leak theory. And uh, Farwell was mentioning uh, a couple of weeks ago that you know the uh, the Big Story podcast, which is uh, produced by uh, uh, our Frequency Podcast Network, did an episode on that about nine months ago. That the uh, the lab leak theory has a little bit of validity. Validity, I can't say that. <laughs> anyway, let's head to the news, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about something a little more upbeat. Well, kind of upbeat. The MLB season. Is it going to happen or not? <laughs> we'll hopefully find out when Je- uh, uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith from Sportsnet joins us. Coming up next on Kitchener Today on City News 570. to Kitchener Today on City News 570. Uh, Producer Pauly in with you for the next uh, half hour. Now, I'm going to be here tomorrow as well. So coming up on the show tomorrow, uh, we got a couple of things lined up. So we, you know, we heard a couple of weeks ago about the whole Spotify situation. Neil Young uh, had taken his music off Spotify in uh, you know, in protest for some of the content, some of the misinformation that he felt uh, on Joe Rogan's podcast, a couple of other artists followed as well. But there was an interesting piece in the conversation earlier this week. The Conversation dot com is a a great site for uh, it, it's lots of different opinions on on all sorts of different things from different parts of the political spectrum. 
uh, really interesting stuff. So uh, there was a piece in there about how some of the, the music streaming services make it really difficult to make it a go as an independent artist or even an artist on a on a smaller record label because uh, you know all all the big artists always you know always show up in you know your recommended feeds and things like that and so uh, we're going to have an interesting discussion hopefully it will be interesting about the different uh, music streaming services and for me I like some of the you know some of the a lot of the music I listen to no one has ever heard of before. I could name you my 10 favorite, well, maybe not 10 favorite, but my, certainly my, my top three or four favorite bands no one has ever heard of. So that's coming up at some point tomorrow. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward, hopefully, to the beginning of a Major League Baseball season. Now, not a lot of people are aware, well, hardcore baseball fans certainly would be aware that there has been a work stoppage since December. I think December 1st that came into place. And right about now is when we should, hypothetically, we would be hearing about spring training, pitchers and catchers reporting. And really, maybe even this weekend, even this weekend or next weekend might have been the first spring training game on the radio, which I always look forward to, but that's not going to happen because baseball is in a a work stoppage. And Ben Nicholson-Smith from Sportsnet is with us to try and get to the bottom of this. Ben, good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me on. How are you? Not too bad. Um, Let's start with the obvious question. Is there any chance at this point that the Major League Baseball season is going to start on time? There's a chance, but unfortunately, it's a small one. Right now, the players and owners continue to talk, but unless they get a deal in the next few days, then there will be a delay to the season, and we will be talking about missed regular season games uh, for the first, of course, you know, the COVID stand of the season notwithstanding, mm-hmm. but this would be for the first time since 1994 and 1995. Now, in 1994, uh, it was a player strike that forced... Um, games not to be played. This time it's actually a lockout. The players aren't even allowed to play. Uh, what are some of the, the sticking points in this negotiation between the owners and the players? Yeah, great question. And they're, they're talking these things through right now. Ultimately, the, the really short version is money. And who gets it, who gets it when, who gets how much of it. Mm-hmm. So determining the shape of all that is really what these talks are about. And the players want to see uh, fewer restrictions on spending, so they want the teams to be able to spend freely uh, on contracts. They don't want to have restrictions such as the competitive balance tax, the luxury tax, and they also want to see players get paid younger in their <clears throat> careers. So instead of waiting until you know you get to free agency to get that first big contract, they would like to find ways to get players money when they're in their first few seasons in the majors. Now, this lockout began December 1st, and one of the only things my understanding is that that both sides agree on is a universal DH, so the National League would bring in the designated hitter, but is there any other progress that's been made in that time? Yeah, they've they've gotten closer on a lot of issues, but not by enough, so we're still looking at really significant gaps in uh, whether it's salary arbitration, whether it's getting some bonuses for, for young players in their careers. 
And of course, that competitive balance tax, there's still some really big gaps. So as far as concrete changes that we will see, the DH is one that will be in both leagues starting in 2022. Um, There will also be an end to direct draft pick compensation. And, you know, we'll see as far as the expanded playoffs, but it's extremely likely that we will see an expanded playoff field beyond the current set of 10 teams. Now, are you finding that a lot of base? Because I, I was talking to a coworker and I mentioned to him casually, uh, I don't know, maybe beginning of January, that about uh, the baseball work stoppage. He had no idea, and he he's a a pretty big baseball fan. Are you finding that there are some people who are only really catching on now that there's even a work stoppage? I think that's certainly true for some for some fans uh, because. You know, it is that time of year when you start looking and, and trying to find out um, what's happening with the upcoming baseball season. Of course, football's done. And, you know, generally beginning of March is when you start to see a couple of spring training games on TV and, and we all start getting ready for the season. So it's definitely getting more attention now. Um, I, I think for the most part, the people that I talk to are pretty intense baseball people. So in, in my conversations, people are following this pretty closely. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's no question that for some for some fans this is now appearing on the radar for for the first time now realistically ben if you had to make a prediction when do you think we might see a deal and then the start of a baseball season well it's a it's a great question i mean i would love to have a clear answer on this one i'll I'll throw a date out there just for for the for the sake of guessing like I, i could see you know, March 10th, March 15th, a deal and then a slight delay to the season. It's also possible that things shift sooner. I, I'm hoping for that. I think all baseball fans are hoping for a deal to be struck even sooner. But really, the the short answer is that they'll get a deal once there's real movement on the competitive balance tax. And until there's real movement there, then we're just talking in hypotheticals, really. So once you see that news that there's um, kind of some common ground to be found on the CBT, then that'll be a really good sign for what comes next. So obviously, whenever a deal is struck, we're, we're literally not going to have baseball literally the next day. There's a time frame there. Players need to get ready. I'm assuming there's going to be some version of a, of a spring training. What kind of a timeline are we looking at realistically from the time a deal is reached to the time we get the, the regular season underway? Well, yeah, that's a that's a question that teams are trying to figure out now, and 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 certainly fans are too. I think realistically, once a deal is agreed to, there's going to be a process of of ratifying it. It's a very long document, of course, hundreds of pages and lots of details. So lawyers will look at that, and in the meantime, you have players and staff reporting to spring training camps at that point. So that takes a few days. Then once the deal is official. You still have a lot of off-season business to complete. I mean, there are a lot of free agents out there, Freddie Freeman, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story. All of those guys still have to sign. So that will be happening concurrently. And then you have probably a four-week spring training. It would be tough to do it in less. I mean, you could you could certainly make the case that players might want five to be sure they're ready. But I think more realistically, a four-week spring training and then opening day, give or take four, four and a half weeks after we have an agreement. So as you mentioned, money is at the heart of a lot of the the issues. Did, did the pandemic and then even the pandemic-shortened season have any impact on, you know, owners' finances, you know, reduced crowds? Has any of this had an effect on the owners being able to give the players more of what they're looking for? 
Well, I do think that, you know, the shortened season definitely was a, a setup of sorts to, to this, to this um, bargaining that we're seeing right now. And nobody wanted that shortened season. Nobody foresaw it. But what it did mean was that the players and owners had to find a way to find out the logistics for that 2020 season. And Major League Baseball at that point in time was content to roll with a 60-game season. Players wanted it to be longer, so there was some tension there. There were certainly um, some words exchanged between players and, and a lot of public criticism of the commissioner, Rob Manfred. So, you know, at that point, players were galvanized. They began this process of, of working together and trying to come up with a solution for, for the sport. And so even though that wasn't technically a collective bargaining agreement, it still was a lot of the same decisions and a lot of the same people. And so um, that, that does connect to what we're seeing unfolding right now. All right, Ben, thanks very much for joining us today. Before I let you go, I'm seeing some chatter online about Freddie Freeman. Do you think the Blue Jays have a shot at him? Do you think they will make a shot at him? He's a great player. And I think anytime that you're looking at a player as talented as Freddie Freeman, you've got to take a long look at it. Um, with that being said, I mean, of course, the Jays have a first baseman in Vlad Jr., so the fit's a little bit clunky. And to me, this isn't a likely one. Uh, clearly, Atlanta has been a great uh, home for Freddie Freeman for a long time now. And if he leaves, which is a possibility, but if he leaves, I see the Dodgers and Yankees as being more likely fits for, the, mm-hmm. for Freeman than the Blue Jays. Um, but again, anytime you have a player that that's good and, and has that kind of ability – then you've got to take a look at them. So I have no doubt that the Jays have at least had some internal discussions about what Freeman would look like. Ben, thanks for your time this afternoon. My pleasure. Hopefully we have some real baseball to watch and talk about soon. Woohoo! Thanks. <laughs> take care. Have a good one. Ben Nicholson-Smith, a writer for Sportsnet. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people are just picking up on the fact now that uh, baseball is probably going to be delayed. Major League Baseball uh, making a statement yesterday, I think it was, that basically said if the players and the owners don't come to an agreement by Monday of next week, so like what, three, four days from now, the beginning of the regular season definitely will not start on time. Uh, If you have a thought on this, we'd be glad to take a few calls, and if not, we can come back with a few other things, but uh, if you want to Calling on on the on what you've just heard from Ben Nicholson Smith, are you confident? Are you hopeful? I think we're all hopeful that a deal will be reached between the players and the owners uh, by Monday. But will it happen? Probably not. But we can all be helpful, uh, hopeful rather. Five one nine five seventy twenty five forty five. Out of town one eight hundred five seventy fifty seven fifteen, and star five seventy hands-free. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Producer Polly filling in. Phone lines are open for the next few minutes. 519-570-2545. 1-800-570-5715. And star 570. Hands-free. We've been talking about the beginning of the Major League Baseball season. Now, I see a very interesting name on my screen, and I have been told it might, maybe, it might be, it could be Glenn Peltier. 
Paul, I was going to email you. It is! I was going to email you, but I couldn't resist. I, I, I pulled over on the side of the road because I have to tell you, and I, I told you this years ago, <laughs> that you should get your own talk show. I, one I, day you're going to get an opportunity. And I'm not just saying this to make you feel good. Paul, you're doing an amazing job. You're easy to listen to. You're asking amazing questions. I, I'm blown away, and yet at the same time, I, I knew you could do this. I hope, I hope you put your name in the ring for this gig on a permanent basis, and I hope over time your superiors, the people in management, understand what they've got here. Like your, your natural curiosity, your inquisitiveness, and you're, so, you're informed about so many, so many things. I don't know, Paul. It's it's so it's amazing. You're doing such a great job, and I, I, I like I said, I was going to email you, but I thought I got to say it now. I'm I'm just like so happy for you, so proud of you because I knew we've worked together for years. Yeah, you had this, you had this in you, and keep up the great work, brother. Glenn, that means a lot coming from you. It really does. Enjoy the rest of however this thing long this thing lasts. Enjoy it, and you're doing a great job. Yeah, I'm here for the rest of the week, and then I'm, I don't even know what's happening next week, but it's not me. Well, <laughs> but maybe I will be back at some point. You know, you know how... Uh, well, have you considered throwing your hat in the ring? Honestly, I have. I've always... You know me. I like the behind-the-scenes stuff, but uh, the on-air stuff can be nerve-wracking, but it, I am getting more comfortable as the week goes on. Well, I hope, I hope you get to do more than just tomorrow. Yeah. And I hope you... I hope you put your hat in the ring. Just keep up the great work. Thanks a lot, Glenn. That means a okay, lot. Man. How's retirement? What do you do? Come on. Don't. How's retirement? What have you been doing? I do very, very little. Uh, snowshoeing, reading, driving down into town to get the mail. It's everything. It's everything I imagined it would be and more. That's great. Glenn. I love you, brother. Yeah, I love you too, man. Thanks for calling. Thanks for yeah. listening. Bye-bye. The, the, the legendary. I, I, I just said it. I... It's out there. I can't dump it anymore. The legendary Glenn Pelchier. And so that, that means a lot coming from him. He, he told me years ago that, you know, I should get my own show. And it's, it, it, it's nerve-wracking. Listen, I mean, I'm, I've, always, I've been here for, what, 17 and a half years. And most of it is behind the scenes. When you call this station, a lot of the time, I'm the first voice you hear, I pick up the phone, say, City News, who's calling? And, uh, you know, I've always liked the behind-the-scenes stuff. I mentioned on the air the, the other day, I'm an introvert. So I, I like fading off into the background, kind of observing. I'll participate in a conversation when it when it comes up. But um, I don't know. We'll, well, I, I've, you know, I've never had the... The, the the desire to want to be on the air full time. I remember when I was a when I was a kid. Again, going back to the you know the behind the scenes stuff. I I had this little. I think I get them at actually it was a toy. Actually, it was a toy that my parents got for me at Toys R Us. This little. Have you ever seen the episode of The Simpsons when Bart gets this microphone for his birthday, and this microphone transmits to a nearby radio. Well, I had one of those when I was a kid. 
And it was exactly like what you saw in The Simpsons. This this microphone, you put batteries in it, and the speaker is your radio. And I was, I mean, I was fascinated that my voice was coming over the radio and I would put the radio in the kitchen and, and go up to my room and, and speak into it and go, hey, mom, how you doing? And like, where's this voice coming from? But I was also fascinated with it, it, how big is this signal? How many can 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 the can, can is it just my yard? Can the whole city hear me? What is happening here now? It 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 wasn't the whole city. It was just my yard. It was probably just my bedroom. You know that's. But it's. I've always loved the the technical side of it. I love the behind the scenes stuff. But Glenn, thank you very much. That means a lot coming from you. And maybe I will consider it. Um. It's it, again. It's nerve wracking, and with a lot of these, I'll I'll be honest with with a lot of the um, you know the interviews this week. You know, I I have questions written out ahead of time because I'm like, oh, what I, what if I run out of things to say? I, I there's a couple of questions that pop in there because based on something that the the guest would say. But I guess as you become a more skilled interviewer, uh, you don't have to rely on you know everything being written out ahead of time and and you know sometimes you know I, i've heard talk show hosts that that do write questions out ahead of time and i i you know i listen and go the, the guest just said something fascinating and you're you, you're just ignoring it i'm I, I wonder if that's happened to me this week i'm sure there's a couple of people who are yelling at the radio going get this guy off the air he's not asking the big questions but yeah it, it, it's, it's awesome to hear from the uh, you know, the former morning host of this station and many other shifts over the years as well. The, uh, the, uh, the invaluable, the legendary Glenn Peltier. Here's somebody else who's legendary. Terry, go ahead. <laughs> Not even close. Listen, <laughs> Glenn Peltier is right. You, you, ha- you, you have that natural, the, your voice is, is perfect for radio. You got that, that, you know, like I said, I told you last week, it's the Danny Bonaducci style voice. <laughs> you, you do, you have that raspy, it, it's perfect for radio. Yeah. And and I remember some years ago, you kind of co-hosted a, a one hour segment there with Pete Travers. I thought, Oh yes, were, that thing. Yeah. The late lunch, I think it was called. Yeah. It was like the, uh, whatever they call the changeover or the, between between the two holes. Yeah, I think it was there. called the late lunch. Something. It was like a one that, hour yeah. show every afternoon. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Polly, you should consider. I think Glenn Glenn Pelche is right. He, uh, he, I mean, it's up to you if, if you don't. Feel of course. But but as a li- I've been listening to you all week, and I'm telling you, you're perfect for that that gig. So it's something to consider. Like, yeah. I mean. I mean, if Glenn Pelche says, and he's a radio guy, I'm, I'm yeah. not a radio guy, I'm just a radio. I, listen, I love radio, and I don't know if I've ever met anybody other than me who loves radio as much as Glenn. So and he's yeah, and he's been in the in the in the, in the industry for years and mm-hmm. years and years, and it. And if he knows, Paulie, that uh, deep down, if he knows that you you are ideal for that uh, job, there, I I would uh, take his advice, but. But like I said, if you if you don't feel comfortable, then you know, then it's something to think about. But but I can tell you, I, I actually you are you, you, you already enjoyed to listen to on the radio, Paul. Thank you very much, Terry. And uh, in, in terms of baseball, I wasn't going to call in, but 
If they canceled the baseball season, I wouldn't. I wouldn't shed a tear. But uh, oh, I would. But, but, but uh, yeah, they'll probably uh, condense it by maybe a, like they did in ninety. I believe it was at ninety five. They played like one hundred and forty games. Yeah. Like that. So they Yeah. As long as they they could probably miss a month and still get a decent season in. But we'll yeah. see, Paulie. My I'm pre- sure. My prediction yeah, is we'll miss maybe about a month, month and a half of the season. You know, thank you very much for your nice comments, Terry. That's very nice. You know, it's it's not always, though, about having a good voice. Everyone's like, oh, you have a great voice. You sh- you should be in radio. It's it's. I mean, yes, people who are in radio tend to have good voices, but it's also about the entertainment value. There used to be a guy, I don't think he's on anymore. I think he's out somewhere else, but uh, on the station, we sometimes we'll carry CBS Sports Radio you know, evenings and weekends. And there was a guy he used to do evenings and we used to refer to him in the hallway as the Marlboro man because he had this really deep voice and, but he was entertaining. And so I was able to get past the voice because he, he, he was very funny. Uh, Pharrell, that was his last name, I think, but he was very, so it's not always about the voice, but sometimes that's often the, uh, the starting point. So we have done it. We've reached another episode. I am episode (laughs) in our last episode. Hey, there's a deep voice for it. I am back tomorrow from noon to three. It's been a pleasure today. Uh, this is producer Paulie Kitchener today on city news 570.